Good morning, everyone. Uh, this morning's message is entitled Gospel Unity. And although Pastor is in um, chapter 14, we're going to be reading in, chapters, in chapter 15, verses 1 through 7, as an overview of Paul's purpose. Romans 15, 1 through 7. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the, the reproaches of them that reproached you fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Now, the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we are humbled to come before you, not just because we are man and our days are numbered and they're passing away and our life is a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away, not just because we're dust. You know all these things of us. We're humbled because we know that in being dust, we have offended you with our sin. And to know that you loved us in spite of it, even while we were in our sin and gave your son to be our propitiation, to be a propitiation for us, so that we may be justified, so that we may have salvation through his name. We're humbled because of these things, and we want to praise you because of these things. Help us to live as we ought to because of who you are and what you've done for us. Even as we consider these matters today, humble us so that we will be more receiving, more patient with one another, more unified with fellowship and for the worship of your name as those whom you've called from sin unto life, from death to life, from sin to righteousness through Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is an overview this morning. Again, as we come to another section of Romans, now Romans, I believe this section begins in chapter 14 and goes through verse 13 of chapter 15. There are differences of opinion. When we come to Scripture, we know, maybe you don't know, but the verses and chapters were added very late in the history of of when these things were organized. In fact, uh, as, as recent as the 1500s, the first time things were put into verses and chapters was, were the 1200s. Uh, the most recent was the 1500s. So these are fairly recent when it comes to when the scriptures were written. And so here we have this text that we maybe split up in our mind as chapter 14 and then chapter 15, but I think Paul's Concern goes all the way through verse 13 of chapter 15. Before we get there, though, we've been going through this book for a long time. It's easy to forget then 
this, this book, this epistle, was a letter that was written to churches that were to be read probably in one sitting. I told you if you sit down, if you have an average reading ability like me, it takes you about 30 minutes to read through the entire letter. I think we've been dealing with this for about three years. So you may have forgotten a few things so far, but God willing, you know a little bit more as well when you come to the details. One of the central, well, the central theme I've argued throughout the entire epistle is the gospel. The gospel is the great theme of Romans. But besides that, you could imagine a great uh, fountain of water, and then from there you have streams that flow out. And from the gospel, we have streams like justification, salvation, the big picture of salvation. One of the great streams that flows out of the gospel is the relationship between the Jew and the Gentile. One that doesn't really set us at awe, to awe as often as it should, is what God has done to bring Jews and Gentiles together in unity. From the very beginning, in fact, in the very verses, the, the two verses in chapter one that I think are the great themes of, describe the great theme of this book We read, for I am not ashamed, verse 16 of chapter 1, of the gospel. There it is, the the central theme of Romans. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And then he describes everyone there in two categories, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So he shows from the very beginning what this gospel brings, what fruit it brings, namely salvation for the Jew and the Gentile, for everyone, he says there. But then he goes about and he lays the argument. Everyone needs the gospel because everyone's a sinner, both Jews and Gentiles. He says in Romans chapter 3, there is no difference. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then he says this, this unifying factor, for there is no distinction for all of sin and are, uh, fall short of the glory of God, and, and then all are still there, Jew and Gentile, are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so this, this epistle is concerned with the unity of the Jew and the Gentile. And first he argues that we're unified in sin. Now we're unified in righteousness By God's pronouncement, when we, Jew or Gentile, believe the gospel, we are justified. God pronounces us righteous. And that makes God the God not only of the Jews, but also of the the Gentiles. Chapter 3, 28. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. The law is not the distinguishing component to God's people. It's grace through faith. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. And this has huge ramifications for the history of redemption, doesn't it? And he begins that in chapter 4 with Abraham. That's, That's the foundation. And so he says, Abraham, when he received the promise, was uncircumcised. And then he was circumcised later, and he says that is a picture that those who are uncircumcised and those who are circumcised, if they have the same faith as Abraham, are children of Abraham. So we are heirs of the promise given to Abraham 
Not merely as in this he brings out in Romans chapter 9, not because you were circumcised or have the same blood lineage of Abraham, but because you have the same faith that Abraham had. And that faith, that, that uh, faith funnels down and narrows down to the one whom we have faith in who is Christ himself. And on it goes in chapter 5, there's only two positions, two heads which we can belong to when it comes to judgment, either the first Adam or the second Adam. Jews and Gentiles will both be judged, whether they're in the first Adam, which is judged under sin by his condemnation, by his sin, we are judged, or in the righteousness of Christ, then grace reigns in us for eternal life. Otherwise, sin reigns unto death through the first Adam. So there's only two categories, not Jew and Gentile anymore. Now it's first Adam, second Adam. If you're in Christ, Jew or Gentile, you are united and grace reigns through righteousness through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that works itself out also in the conduct of our salvation. How we are living ourselves, our lives out. We are no longer uh, identified by the old covenant. The law does not give us any power or persuasion over sin itself. Only Christ, by the abiding Holy Spirit, gives us freedom, gives us opportunity to live out a life that agrees with the gospel. And all the benefits that come to us, present and future, come through Jesus Christ. And that is, there's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile there. Chapters 6 through 8 speak of this unity and salvation, this unity of promise, this unity of fulfillment, this unity of blessings and benedictions and salvation is one word that surmises or, or summarizes all those things for both the Jew and the Gentile. And God's work in redemptive history demonstrates that his word doesn't fail for either the Jew or the Gentile. In chapters 9 and 11, we saw this. And since there's no distinction between the Jew and the Gentile, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved and he will bestow his riches on all who call on him. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so there's no distinction made between Jews and Gentiles when it comes to our salvation, when it comes to our future inheritance. We're all sons of God through adoption of the Holy Spirit. And then he comes and teaches us the distinction, that there is no distinction with regards to conduct as he starts laying down the principles of conduct for the church in chapters 12 and 13. And that principle is very, very clear that we're all called to live a gospel pattern life. We're not the gospel, but we're called to live in accordance with that pattern. We're, we're called to live in accordance with humility within, what, within the church as God has gifted us how we ought to carry out our calling, so we ought to live in humility towards one another, loving one another as a family, because that's indeed what we are. We are brother and sister in the Lord Jesus Christ. We also learn how we ought to live, how we ought to live in relationship with the world around us. When they revile us, we don't revile them. We love our enemy. We don't chasten when we're chastened for our faith. We don't backbite. And so these general themes have been worked out, even how we relate to the government. 
No distinction had been made between the Gentile and the Jew in the past two chapters, 12 and 13, because all who are in the church are unified. There's no distinction. And why do I bring this up as we come to this next portion of Scripture? I do because I believe what Paul is dealing with here is that although there's no distinction, spiritually speaking, there's no distinction in the inheritance, in the future blessings, there should be unity when it comes to God's people. Nevertheless, there were massive differences when it came to convictions about many things regarding the Jews and Gentiles. And, and that's why I bring up this theme, this great theme of the, the relationship of the Jew and Gentile as the gospel makes the difference in that relationship. Because I think that's what Paul is concerned here. Here's his big picture in chapter 14, 15 through 13. I believe Paul is speaking to the relationship of Jews and Gentiles now within the body of Christ, in the church in order to maintain unity for which Christ died. He died so that Jews and Gentiles would be unified. Why do I believe that he has them, us and them in mind? Not us and them, but us together as a people, a redeemed people. First, because of the big picture of this section. It implies it. I believe that this portion goes through chapter 15, verse 13. As such, what Brother Jim read this morning, spoke, Paul, if you remember, he speaks of himself as one of the strong. So that the context goes into chapter 15. We know that. Bear with the weak. But then he says in Romans 15, 5 through 7, here's the goal of this entire portion. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, harmony with one another, notice that, unity, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, Notice that theme. Paul has already called himself strong in verse 1. Now he says, welcome one another. And then if you go back to chapter 14, verse 1, he says, as for one who is weak in the faith, welcome him. And Paul's saying, I'm one of the strong, and I'm teaching you welcome. Be welcoming. But notice how he further elaborates his purpose in verses 8 through 13. Notice how he says this. He puts the emphasis on the Gentiles. And I'll explain why. Verse 8, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that's the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So I believe we should take from this here, this implies that God in showing mercy to the Gentiles through Christ means that Paul is describing the Gentiles as them, 
requiring them to show mercy to those who are weak. See, what I think and what I think becomes very clear, especially with the second argument that I'm going to make, is that Paul, although he himself is strong, his conscience is clear about these things that he's regarding. Many of the Jews that are believers in Christ, their consciences are still held by what, as we'll see here soon enough, are called, were called clean and unclean. The observance of days, dietary laws, those in this context he calls weak. And so what does he, why does he single out the Gentiles? He singles them out to show them the mercy that God has shown to them. To bring them to himself so that they will in turn show that mercy to the Jews. Show abundant kindness and patience, forbearance. You think you're strong? You were weak and God saved you. So so welcome those who are weak. So that's implied, I believe, in the greater context. Second, we see in the details of chapter 14, I think, that which regards the Jew and Gentile distinction primarily. Look at verse 2. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Verse 21, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine to do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Verse 5, one person esteems one day as better than another, while, the other, while another esteems all days alike. Now, two groups are presented in this text, as I mentioned in chapter 14, weak and strong. The weak by conviction here in this text, in summary, abstain from certain foods and drink, but observe days, certain days that others don't. And Paul is one of the strong, as I mentioned, Romans 15.1. Now we know from history that not only did the Jews have scruples that related to these particular matters, some Gentiles also did. But, but for this primarily re- primary reason, I believe these matters regarding food, abstaining from food and drink, and then also observing of days has primarily speaking to do with those who were the Jews among this church, these churches in Rome. Verse 14, I think, is the key. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who who thinks it unclean. Now, when Paul uses this term unclean here, there is a whole ceremonial, mosaic law, weight, baggage that comes along with it. This is a very technical term. He is a Pharisee, but he knows the word he's using here. This term has reference to that which was common, that which was not ceremonially cleansed, what was not uh, permitted in order for the people of Israel in the Old Testament to take part in that which was holy. We're not going to go into all the unclean and clean, the cleanness rites, the cleanness rites in the Old Testament. But this is a very Jewish idea here, and a very Jewish technical idea of unclean and clean here. Many foods were considered unclean in the Old Testament. The law given by Moses, to Moses, through Moses, to God's people. Now, drinks were generally not clean or unclean 
except for those who took a Nazarite vow. They couldn't partake in wine or strong drink. That's not the case for everyone. But if even your pitcher touched something that you had your, your water in, if it touched something unclean, everything would be unclean. The pitcher, the water, the wine, everything. And so it certainly had to do with that which was water and food. We also know that the days were holy to Israel, many days, not just the Sabbath day, that is one and seven, but also Sabbath years, uh, many feasts. There were many holy observances when it came to days for the Jewish people. These things cause me to believe And as we'll get through this text together in the coming weeks, God willing, we'll see how these things really unfold. But they caused me to believe that there was a deep division when it came to these convictions. What the apostle will teach us in Romans 14, we must not gloss over. These were deeply held convictions. And he even says in verse 6, It's not merely that you hold opinions. You should be persuaded. Paul is not teaching relativism in this. He's not teaching us as Christians, hey, whatever, just accept anybody, doesn't matter what they believe or what they think. He actually encourages us have convictions. It's good. But even the strong convictions that might cause and would naturally cause deep divisions among the church, he tells them ought not to cause divisions within the church. That's the power, again, of the gospel. And that's the only power, that's the only thing that will cause those things that, naturally speaking, would cause great division, not to. First, I want us to feel the weight of this division, the depth of it. Consider that these things, if they have to do with Jew and Gentile distinctions, what might be called adiophorous, those things without essential value, good or evil, are things which God commanded the Jews to observe for over a thousand years. As I mentioned, food, drink, days were all part of the Mosaic Covenant. That a Jewish person in right standing with the Old Covenant would be required in their conscience to observe. (coughs) This is no small matter. Second, Israel was judged because in part they did not observe these very things. One of the the reasons the judgment came upon Israel in Jerusalem, especially in Ezekiel's time, as we'll read Ezekiel here, according to him in Ezekiel twenty-two twenty-six, was because Israel, or the Jews, the southern kingdom, did not rightly observe these cleanliness laws and Sabbath laws or days that God has taught them to observe. Verse 26, he said that there in Ezekiel 22, her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and clean. They have disregarded my Sabbaths so that I am profaned among them. 
Verse 31, therefore I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I've returned their ways upon their heads, declared the Lord God. And even while Ezekiel prophesied, Babylon had come, was coming down. He was taken away as a captive. God's judgment was upon his people because they were not clean. They were not following the law of God. Feel that weight if you're hearing Paul speak to you as a Jewish believer in Christ. And tell me that there aren't a lot of convictions that would still be in you. <laughs> My people, our people were judged because they didn't observe these days and months and years and were unclean before God. Third, even further than that, after the people were restored to the land, a few centuries later, after Judas Maccabeus led a revolt, there was a second temple Judaism that became uh, described by four different factions of, of leaders, religious leaders in Israel, and some of them were very scrupulous. Some of them viewed that, or had a view that they, they understood the spirit of the law, what God was really teaching in the law, and, and those, that spirit of the law became known as traditions, the traditions of the elders. Matthew 15 talks about that a little bit. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus. Here's a few of these groups from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. In other words, they're considered unclean. Except for what they're saying here doesn't have anything to do with the cleanliness laws in the Old Testament. You were not unclean just because you didn't wash your hands every time you went to eat. You're only unclean if you touch something unclean or if you, if you ate something unclean or, or, or so on without being cleansed. But the tradition became, we understand the spirit. Maybe you touched something that was unclean. In fact, the rabbinical tradition became so serious when it came to these matters of washing before you eat that they said that it was as if you went in to lie with a harlot if you ate food without washing your hands. It was the same evil, even though that wasn't one of the laws of Moses. They said the breach of this rule was reckoned equal to the most flagitious crime, and the offenders shall be punished below. Now, you've been brought up in Judaism. You're a Jew. You become a Christian. But you know that. You know that. I have to wash my hands before I eat anything. Now that's just a tradition. Jesus tells them, it's not what you put into the body that defiles the body. It's what comes out. But, but you've been brought up in this. This is, this is not only the, the tradition. This is your identity as an individual. You're a Jew. And this is what separates you from everybody else in the world. Now, I bring this up because these were deep convictions. And many of us are going to come to Romans 14 and we're going to say, but the convictions I hold are really deep. I hold deep convictions. I, I mean, I've been taught, my pastor taught me this. My grandma taught me this. My mom taught me this. My parents knew the truth. They taught me this. And, and somebody is going to movies, and I'm not going to spend time with that person. You dance, that's how I was raised, that you go to a dance, no, we're separate. 
you and me. Uh, and, and there's a multitude of things, food. Nowadays, e- even amongst believers, we, we can argue about if, is food righteous or unrighteous to eat. Paul says everything, if, if you give thanks, is, is lawful, is good. And yet we'll, oh, it's got gluten in it, it's vegan, it's not, it's this and that, and food becomes what we worship around if we're not careful. Wine, strong drink, holiday observance. I've been around churches. You cannot have a Christmas tree. You can't observe. In fact, I believe the Church of Scotland did not celebrate Christmas. Maybe to this day don't celebrate Christmas. Holiday observances can separate God's people. Eschatology, Bible versions, books, movies, music, healthcare philosophy. I've been ill. (laughs) And, you know, when you're ill, you want to feel better. And you also want to do things in the right way. What we have right now with COVID going around, we have a great debate surrounding vaccines. We have convictions, deep convictions on both sides of these matters. Is that what is going to unify the church? Is that going to be what separates you from God's people? We have had COVID for two years, and I know for a fact Christians are separating over convictions formed around COVID. Jews were taught their their traditions for a thousand years, more than a thousand years, and Paul is telling them, do not forsake fellowship. Why? And here's the big picture. Because none of these things compare to Christ. None of them compare to what God has done for us to bring him to his son. Hang it all. We can, you know, if if we get sick and die, that is not the worst thing that could happen to us. The world will make you think it is. I have been so thankful this week as I've been mostly sick. I'm, I'm not... I don't have COVID. I don't want any of your, and, and I hate to admit it, but I'm on antibiotics. And I've been thanking God all week for the forgiveness of sin. As I lay there and I'm worthless, it seems, I have prayer. I have God. I have hope. If everything comes about health and sickness, we are in trouble. Read Psalm 39. Even at our best, we have only a little time on this earth. It's a vapor. Why would we make temporal things the main thing? That's Paul's concern. Even if it's deep, even if you have a real firm conviction, are you going to turn away those from whom Christ died over those things? That's the point of this text. One last illustration. Sorry. When I get sick and weak, I get emotional. That's, you got to deal with it. Uh, would any of us say that the convictions that we hold, and we hold opposing convictions, some of us, that if God told us clearly that we were wrong, would we tell God No. Somebody did. 
Somebody did. Somebody told God, no way. Peter received a vision three times, and that's significant. Something was affirmed by the law of Moses by two or three witnesses. Paul, three times a vision came to him about some food. Here it is. No. And here's what he says to God. By no means, Lord, Acts 10. God tells him, go, there's somebody I want you to see. Go there. He gets this vision that tells him, rise, Peter, kill and eat, Acts 10, if you want to go there. And Peter tells God, by no means, Lord. And this is his reasoning. I have convictions. I have never touched anything unclean. Common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. Now, that vision was not primarily about food. Oftentimes, sorry, I got to do this. Sorry. Oftentimes, we go there and, oh, well, that just means we can eat what we want. That's not the point of this text primarily. The point of this text is what follows. Verse 34, Peter is at Cornelius' house. Actually, verse 28, he gives this testimony. He can, God convinces him. He becomes convinced. <laughs> Sometimes we do need that, that time. You yourself know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, Jew or Greek, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And here's how he defines that. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Jew and Gentile, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were possessed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are all witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all people, but to us had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. It's not about food. 
It's not about food. It's about redemption. It's amazing what God has done in your life to save you. If you're in Christ, every time we have communion, now that I hand it, I'm amazed. When I hand that bread and that, and you receive that, that God has called you out. He has not called you to be common any further or unclean. You are cleansed. You are washed by the blood of Christ. That's what it's about. That's what all our convictions come down to. Who are you in Christ? Just as Peter was given to understand, so Paul argues in our next portion that due to opinions and convictions not essential to salvation, we have no right to deny one another table fellowship nor union and fellowship in worship. Christ is our Lord, all of us. And God had made us clean by faith in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We need this in these times. We are so given to division, so much the church has been keen on dividing and separating. And we want to make sure our unity is founded on that truth which cannot be shaken and we know we are to divide on some things but where those things end lord let us have patience with one another forbearing one another let us love one another let us be good neighbors i pray that you would help us to love with the love that christ had for us and so be a faithful people called by your grace and showing that grace to others for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen.